yeah, I think indie publishing is so great because there are just so many books now out there that wouldn't have been otherwise. So um, I'm really glad I went that way. And even like with the middle grade, I think you just have to have a different mindset. Welcome to Coffee and Real Talk for Writers, where we get real about the writing life. Writing might be a solitary activity, but becoming a successful author is anything but. So grab a cuppa, pull up a chair, and let's talk. Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of Coffee and Real Talk for Writers. I'm your host, Talina Winters, and I'm recording this on Thursday, February 24, 2022. And I'm very excited today because today is my first uh, podcast guest interview episode. That was super smooth. Um, so this intro is actually going to be audio only as per usual. However, um, once we get into the interview with Jessica, uh, we did that over Zoom. So there is actually um, video. If you go to YouTube and you wanted to watch it, you could. But before I get into the interview, there's just a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, thank you very much to Brenna Bailey Davies for commenting on episode seven, which was about branding challenges for um, multi-passionate creatives. And the question of the week that week was, what's your biggest branding challenge? If you don't have any, but you've solved some before, what was it and how did you solve it? And Brenna says, my biggest branding challenge was figuring out what I wanted my editing business to be, whether I wanted it to be just me or other editors as well, and how to reach my ideal clients through my brand. I ended up hiring a brand designer and rebranding at the beginning of this year, and it has proven to be a good decision so far. And, um, Brenna's website is under Book Martin Editorial now, and I have to agree, it's looking fantastic. It does a really great job of representing what her brand is all about. So I haven't hired a branding designer for myself, although I have offered that as kind of like a, um, I'm not even sure I've ever actually charged for that service. I have offered my opinions on other people's brands before. <laughs> <laughs> whether they wanted them or not. Uh, just kidding. Um, no, I've had people ask me about it before because I do teach classes about branding. Um, but uh, as far as a paid service, I'm not sure if anybody's actually asked me to do that. However, um, I think it's just brilliant that she went ahead and did this and it certainly shortcuts the process of branding. Oh, I did actually have somebody help me once. I just remembered my community offers a... Uh, it has a service called Community Futures, which um, is actually a business, and, but they did offer me a free consultation on my website branding once, and that was really, really helpful. I did that after creating my new website a few years ago, and yeah, just having someone kind of walk through it with me was really, really helpful. Um, anyways, I had a wonderful high. Last Friday morning, I woke up to... Um, an interview, my, my book, The Undine's Tear, which is book one of my Rise of the Gregory series, had been interviewed by a major Christian speculative fiction publication called Lorehaven Magazine. And they had just tagged me on Instagram, and that's how I found out. And I was shocked. It, it, 
you know, I'm not a person who necessarily goes out seeking the validation of these kinds of things other than that reviews are super helpful. So yes, I seek reviews all the time. That's not what I mean. I mean, I don't uh, typically these days go like, I'm not a person, for instance, who feels like I need to go get the validation of being chosen by a traditional publisher. If and when I ever publish with a traditional publisher, it would definitely be a marketing move, part of a marketing strategy for me. It's not something that I would have been, I would be like, yes, please pick me. It's like, how can we work together? That kind of collaborative process. Um, but I do confess that several years ago when I first launched Undine's Tier in 2019, um, of course, with a new book, you're always trying to get reviews. You're trying to get visibility. That's one of our biggest challenges as indie authors is obscurity. And so uh, at the time I still had my old cover and Lorehaven does have a, a review service where you can request reviews. And I had actually submitted Undine's Tier to them at that time requesting that they review it. And they said no. And so when I got this surprise review, um, I was, as I said, very surprised, but it also felt a little bit like winning an award. And so even though I don't usually seek that validation, boy, did it feel good. And the reviewer loved it. Um, and then I, as I, the, I thought about it, the, the more I thought about it, I was like glad that I hadn't gotten the review back then. First of all, they probably rejected it partly because I wasn't marketing it well. Like I still didn't have a really great book description for it. And the book description I had was probably pretty misleading. But also the cover I had, even though it was a pretty fascinating and, and eye-catching cover, was not the right cover for the genre the book actually is. I was still kind of figuring out what my genre was, who my ideal readers were. And uh, at the time, it was the only book I had out. I did have my prequel novella out, but that isn't really, you know, it wasn't like something that people would have really read through to necessarily that would have made me money. At the time, it was actually only available exclusively to my newsletter, which I'm thinking of doing with it again, but I'll, I'll save that for another episode. Anyway, um, but point is now I have my marketing in place like the packaging is is all in place and I know that it's solid I'm getting lots of interest in the book now um, and I have a second book so not only um, will the attention draw people into reading this book but they can actually continue reading on if they so choose so anyway that was great. But in case you're wondering, I was a little curious. I'm like, well, what will the results of this review be? Cause I, um, they shared it widely on their social media platforms. I shared it on mine, of course. Uh, and I'm not sure. I, I know that they have a newsletter cause I'm signed up to it, but I, I'm not sure if they actually send out reviews in a newsletter. Cause I don't, I haven't seen it come into my inbox. Um, maybe it will go out later. And I think they put it into their regular magazine. But again, I'm not really sure about that. So the point being, though, after the weekend of all this publicity and all the and this amazing review, um, I sold like zero copies of that book, <laughs> which, by the way, uh, right now there isn't much of a marketing push. I'm not putting a marketing push on it. Um, I'm waiting until I get the third book out before I really start heavily marketing this book. So it's going to be a few years. I am going to be do I am doing low level marketing like 
Um, I've tried ads on this book and I haven't had much success with it. Um, but I'm going to be trying a blog tour, which I've never done before, starting in March. So I'll let you know the, if I get any results from that. Um, I did have a book bub on this book, uh, an international book bub featured deal. I had that last, I think I had it in November, right before Sphinx's Heart released, which is book two. And it didn't even pay for itself. It was a 99 cent book bub deal didn't pay for itself. I did move a lot of copies, didn't see as much read through as I'd like. So I'm trying not to be discouraged by it. The people who love this series really, really love it. And there's people who just don't. And also there's lots of people who download books for cheaper in one of those deals and they just don't read it for like years. I'm totally guilty of this myself. I, I own way more books than I could ever possibly read. So yeah, as I said, it's just something that I'm, I'm, what I'm mostly focusing on with this series right now is kind of building that low level buzz and getting the social proof that I need so that when I do release the third book and I want to start heavily promoting this series and putting some marketing wheels in motion for it, that I've already got a lot, a lot to work with. Okay. So moving on, um, my progress this week, I have nearly completed the editing project that I'm working on, which is due tomorrow, and I will finish it tonight or tomorrow morning, so right on time, and that always makes me feel good. Not only was it right on time, I didn't have to super stress myself out to do that, which is even better. Um, also, I've added several, several chapters to my uh, sweet small town romance manuscript, Every Star That Shines, and I've mentioned that I'm kind of like I... I was stressed out about this. I mean, as you know, I was like going through all kinds of existential angst and kind of tossed out my outline last week and I didn't really toss it out. But at this point, that outline is more like a guideline than an actual rule, which outlines always are for me, but um, I'm way more into the trusting my gut territory at this point than I normally am. It, it, when I'm like three quarters or like two thirds of the way through a book. Um, I am basically still following the outline, but at every scene and every chapter, I just, when I get there, I look at it and I look what I planned and I, and I know why I planned that, but I've gone off of that original plan so much that I kind of look at it and go, okay, based on what has actually happened in the story, what do I need to change? How can I make this work? And I'm still generally headed in the in the same direction that I'd originally planned. It's just that I'm taking a detour. I'm taking a, a different route to get there than I planned. So if I get lost, I will re-outline. But right now I'm just kind of working it chapter by chapter, which is how I would outline, have to do it if I re-outlined anyways. I'm hoping this saves me time because quite often if I do go ahead and re-outline, then I change something else, then, then I feel like that outline was wasted. And And as I said, I'm not that far off of the original plan because I know what beats I need to hit essentially. And I, and I'm pretty solid on my character conflicts. So it's just how those conflicts are working out. That is, is changing a little as I go. Um, speaking of character conflicts, uh, yesterday I felt like I needed, I felt like something was a little bit missing with my heroine's conflict and I needed to beef it up a little bit more. Um, so I, I spent some time thinking about that, which, 
uh, courtesy of my cats. <laughs> my cats have recently gotten into this we are yarn terrorists phase, which is not great because I, of course, am an avid knitter and I have been known to even decorate with yarn. So there is a lot of yarn laying around and um, they have like they can destroy a ball of yarn, I've discovered, in less than two minutes. I discovered that this morning because they were hardly ever unsupervised. And yet, and yet this morning, they destroyed another whole ball of yarn and they tangled it up with a ball of yarn I had spent two hours yesterday untangling and winding. And so I was very thrilled with my cats this morning. I was thinking they really want to be outside cats, but I did not quite actually throw them out there because it's still pretty cold out and they do not have winter coats. But I was not happy. However, anyways, yesterday, because they had also destroyed a ball of yarn yesterday morning. I spent two hours in the afternoon untangling that yarn, thinking through my story at the same time. It was actually kind of a nice little break. Um, and then last night I did write that scene out, wrote a whole chapter out. And I did spend a little bit of time yesterday afternoon after, after I was done untangling, just kind of jotting down some notes about that character conflict that I needed to work through. And it really came through really well when I wrote the scene. So that was good. Uh, the book is currently just under 50,000 words. I'm still anticipating it to land at about 72 to 75,000 words. Um, and I'm definitely not panicking about it like I was last week. However, I did do some creative procrastination this week besides the untangling of the yarn, which I don't feel like was procrastination. That was actually really good use of my time. Uh, cause I'm, <laughs> The project they destroyed is something I'm actively working on finishing for my knitting business. So I needed it to be detangled for that as well. Anyways, um, but I did create a pro uh, creatively procrastinate by listening to dozens of samples on the new Find Away Voices Marketplace, which if you haven't heard about this, is just a, it's a newly opened um, platform on Find Away Voices, which is audiobook production platform for indies. Um, but now they have this marketplace where na narrators can post their work and you can actually contact narrators directly. Uh, I believe it's similar to what ACX did in the past, um, which is Audible's indie publishing arm. I've never gone directly through ACX, so I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I, it seems like it's a similar idea. However, I'm Again, not 100% sure on this, but I do think there is some kind of a curation process on Findaway Voices. I don't know. What I do know is I spent hours and hours this week listening to samples and of the people that were on there, most of them were very prolific and quite qualified narrators. Um, there were a few that were obviously just starting out, but they still had really good quality samples and I didn't feel like it was a waste of my time to even that they were even on there so yeah I I I'm very excited about it um and the the advantage of going directly with the narrator well there's a few things I have produced a an audiobook through find a way voices before uh my novella the water boy which is the prequel audiobook for my rise of the Gregory series I produced that through them and used their curated like you have like an account rep kind of process, which was great for finding the uh, narrator for, since it was my very first audiobook project, I appreciated that. 
However, I got very quickly got frustrated with it because I wanted to have a much more direct hands-on contact relationship with my narrator and everything we said had to go through this middle person, which became very, very frustrating. Other than that, they have a comment system where you can put comments on each chapter or whatever that the narrator produced. And in my case, the narrator would put up his work one chapter at a time as he was doing it. Um, so that was nice, but it did make it tricky. Like I would have liked to have just been able to email back and forth about some things. And eventually when the project was over, I was able to contact like the narrator has social media and stuff. So we were able to contact each other in other ways so I could ask him about doing future projects. Um, and so we did eventually get over that. But as far as the project itself was concerned, it's like we were almost contractually bound to actually go through the Findaway Voices system for everything we wanted to communicate. Again, I found it super frustrating. So I'm really, really excited about this. Um, and also now that I've done uh, that project, I've done uh, the Deep Zen AI narration in December. I'm just a very much a hands-on person and I suspect I'm not the only indie author this who is this way because many of us do this because we just are control freaks, let's admit it. Uh, so um, yeah, I I actually spent, you know, these, these hours and I was looking for narrators. Um, I was mostly like the next project I'm going to get narrated. I'm, I'm really hoping to actually start putting my Peace Country Romance series into audiobook not terribly long after I start publishing it in other formats um, once I see what the reception is like. However, the reason I'm choosing that is partially just a feasibility thing. The books aren't, aren't going to be as long as my Gregory books. Also, I'm expecting that they will have more immediate and wider appeal, and I know that romance readers are voracious. Um, I know several personally that tell me they pretty much only ever listen to audiobooks and they go through one or two a day, which blows my mind. But anyway, romance readers are amazing. Um, I would really like to get my Rise of the Gregory series made into audiobooks. Like that's a dream. But considering that each of the books is going to be at minimum 20 hours long, Sphinx's Heart is going to be more like 40 hours long that is going to be hugely expensive. Like I did price it out once. I did get a narrator that I contacted directly to send me a, to send me an audition once. And I thought I could afford her, but then I found out that her fees were separate from her sound engineer's fees. And together it, it, it came to a rather stupendous amount of money for a book that is still, I'm not really marketing yet. So that's going to wait. However, that didn't stop me from coming up with a short list and finding the perfect narrator for the series for when I get there. So I have now several several narrators picked out. I just need to get the, the budget. <laughs> so anyway, it was something that uh, the, the, the procrastination is something that will pay off eventually. Just not there yet. Anyways, um, I'm going to try and move along here because we're already at 18 minutes and I'm still not even into the interview with Jessica. Uh, the lows for the week, I it was a pretty good week for the most part, other than that I did this procrastination because I was stressed out, pretty sure, and I just needed a way to feel like I had a little bit of control over my life. Um, and that comes back to like, the world is still really hard. More hard stuff happened this week. More hard stuff happens all the time. Uh, it's going to keep happening. And hopefully it will ease off at some point, so it's not 
like everything is in turmoil all the time. But I had this thought today that, you know, like it's it's been said a lot through the pandemic that we're all in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. And I and and it just occurred to me today how apt this analogy of being caught in a boat in a storm is. And I I feel like we're not in like, well, some of us are in like really big boats. I'm not in a big boat. I'm in a small boat, I feel like, because that's where my tolerance level is right now. Um, and when you're in a small boat in a storm, I mean, I'm in there with my family, but sometimes it feels like all you can do is hold on for dear life. So you, you, you might see folks in another boat. Speaking of cat terrace, my cat just tried to snag some of that yarn that I just finished untangling from my desk under my nose as I was recording. Not impressed. Anyway, we are all in, like, like, like I'm in this boat holding on for dear life and I can see folks in other boats and occasionally I'm in a position to help them a bit, but mostly when you're in this situation, you're just trying to survive. And I feel like I've been in survival mode a lot for the last two years, um, which is, I think, partly why my mental health has been fluctuating quite a bit, especially this winter. Um, and I've often felt guilty for how poorly I'm handling the storm and how little I'm able to help others through it until I thought of this analogy today and realized that like when you're in survival mode, you just got to give yourself some more grace. Yeah, we help each other as much as we can. But when most of your resources are just going to surviving, you don't have a lot left to give other people. And it's not like I'm doing nothing. Um, because like even this podcast, for instance, is actually, I mean, it's, it's serving several purposes for me, but one of the main reasons I wanted to start it was as a way of giving back to the community. And so, you know, like I am doing what I can. And still, it seems like the storm in the world is about to calm down and then something happens and the winds pick up again. So I am ready for a break. I don't know about you, but it would be nice to have some calm seas and a peaceful harbor, Prefer preferably a tropical harbor. <laughs> if Maddie Delrymple ever listens to this uh, podcast, she's going to be all over all these nautical metaphors. Hi, Maddie. Anyways, okay, so one resource I wanted to mention this week, uh, I actually just finished reading it today at lunch. It, and I started it last night. So it's a really short book. It's it's Newsletter Ninja 2 by Tammy Labreck. And if you've never read the, the Newsletter Ninja book, I highly recommend that you, you get the hints right now. Just go buy it and download it. And so you'll have it ready to start at your earliest convenience. It is such an amazing tool. Um, such great teaching on there on one of the basic things we need to do for author marketing, which is to nurture our email list. Uh, this is not to replace that book. This newsletter, Letter Ninja 2, is actually focusing on reader magnets, what Tammy calls cookies, which is just fun, right? Who doesn't want a cookie? Um, it's not very long, but it does pack a really powerful punch. And it was super timely for me because I've been rethinking my newsletter strategy lately and my reader magnets in particular. Um, once I'm finished with this manuscript, I'm planning to do a little bit of take take about a month or so and kind of rework and do some writing and, and get some better leader or get a better strategy for my reader magnet. So this was a really helpful and timely uh, read for me. Just came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, and of course, Tammy has just this 
hilarious teaching voice, which is the same as her actual voice, which if you want to hear that, she was actually interviewed on the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 126, just this week. And she covers the highlights of the book in the interview. So you could go check that out if you want to kind of see what the book is all about before you go by. Okay, so on to the interview with Jessica Renwick. Um, before we dive in there, though, I I want to apologize for the sound quality of my mic during the interview. I just did it. We just did it on Zoom, and I used just my earbud micro earbud microphone thingy. And as I was listening back to it, I realized it's not great. So I'm going to definitely need to get a better setup for the next interview I do. But um, still, it's not terrible. It's just not going to be quite the same as what you're hearing right now. Anywho, onwards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Coffee and Real Talk for Writers. I am super excited to have my very first podcast guest today, Jessica Renwick. And Jessica is a friend of mine. She's part of the mastermind that I've mentioned a few times. And also, she has been, uh, like, we have been author friends for many years. <laughs> a long time. 2016 or 2017, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And and actually, Jessica was one of my first editing clients as well, once I decided to go pro per se. Um, so yeah, I'm quite familiar with her work as well. And I'm very excited to share it with you. She has appeared on my blog a few times. So I will link to those posts in the show notes. But before we dive in, I'm going to just read a quick bio. Jessica Renwick is the award-winning author of books about friendship, courage, and being true to yourself. The Book of Chaos was her first novel and the start of her fantasy series for middle grade readers, uh, and the series is called Starfell. Since then, she has also published the second and third book in the series, A Paranormal Mystery for Middle Grade Kids, and a Sweet Romance series for adults. She lives in central Alberta, Canada, with her loving partner, two pocket monsters, her dogs, and a flock of chickens. And Jessica, I have to know why you call your dogs pocket monsters. Because <laughs> they're small, and they're furry, and they behave like little monsters sometimes. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Lucy is certainly small, but Vader's not all that small anymore, is he? You no. have what? Lucy's a Shih Tzu, right? Hmm? Yes, Shih Tzu mix. Yeah. Shih Tzu mix and Vader's a, a, a poodle. A poodle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Purebred poodle. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, they're both very adorable. If you guys want to see her dogs, go check out Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I post them a lot on there. <laughs> well, thanks for coming to have coffee for, with me today, Jessica. Do you, are you drinking coffee or tea? What do you got there? Tea. Yeah, I got tea today too. Yeah. I had my coffee this morning. If I have any more, I yeah, wouldn't be able to sit in this chair for the interview. So. <laughs> it's too late for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, let's dive into the interview. Um, so as we read in your bio, you independently published both middle grade fantasy and sweet romance, which is under the pen name Jessica Ann Renwick. And you also do copy editing and proofreading for fantasy and romantic fiction. So tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer and editor and why you chose independent publishing and how you got into editing. Boy, that's a lot into one, right? But just, just go for it. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. <laughs> um, I have always been a writer, like since I was a kid. Um, I guess I wrote my first novel when I was 13, um, which was 
like not publishable at all, but I did it. <laughs> I think it was probably like a hundred word pages, but um, at the time I was really into the saddle club and thoroughbred and all those horse books. I grew up with horses, so I was mm -hmm. a horse crazy kid. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote a story about some friends that rescued a horse named Peanut Butter. <laughs> Oh, that's a great name for a horse. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. So anyway, my mom was really cute. This is my first foray into publishing. Um, she helped me print it all off. And this was back in the 90s when you had to mail in <laughs> big manuscripts. Um, and we just looked in the in one of my saddle club books and sent it into the publishing house. I think it was Phantom Books, maybe. Okay. Um, sent it into them, and then about a few months later, I got a really nice rejection letter <laughs> from them. But they were so nice, and we're just like, "Sorry, we don't publish books written by children." Aww. <laughs> so you can imagine the editor who had to write that rejection letter, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I. She's so young. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so that that's actually a fond memory I have of mm. my childhood and just trying to do it. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. And after that, I mean, I still kept writing. I never really did anything with it, though. Um, I, you know, adulthood kind of took over college, all that getting a job. <laughs> Um, until I was in my 30s, I started getting more serious about it again. So um, I started writing more. I didn't really, I would say the Book of Chaos must have been the first novel length one I actually finished after the one when I was 13. <laughs> um, uh, I wrote some other short stories, like shorter fiction and stuff like that, but I never submitted them. I never even really shared them with anyone. Um, and then I, probably in my early 30s, I just decided like, this has been a lifelong dream of mine. And if I'm gonna do it, I may as well do it now. I had this story idea for the Book of Chaos, which actually came from a D&D campaign, um, which is Dungeons and Dragons for those not as nerdy as me. <laughs> <laughs> um, my partner is our dm and which is like the person who runs the game yeah and he asked me to write a backstory for my character who is, was a halfling sorcerer sorceress and a halfling would be like similar to a hobbit um so i wrote what turned into well it was supposed to just be like a page i ended up writing him like five pages of a story <laughs> and um then ended up turning that into a middle grade novel. Um, obviously I changed a lot of things. Um, yeah. Fable is, she's not a halfling in my book, she's a human. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's where the idea for that series came from though. Um, and I find like role-playing games like that really do get my creativity going. So I definitely pull a lot from that kind of stuff. That's so fun. You know, that just reminded me, I mean, I've heard you tell this before, but this is the first time it's reminded me of how Peter Brett got started with his Demon Cycle series, because he wrote a short story that ended up becoming the first chapter or three chapters or something of his first book. And yeah, I'm like, it's not, I mean, I just think that's so cool that that's how that came about for, for you uh, with Fable. <laughs> It's just, yes. inspiration is everywhere. <laughs> it really is. And you know what? That 
campaign ended up going for over four years. Wow. Um, and so I was fable for <laughs> over four years. And um, my partner even brought in elements from the story. He ended up bringing in Endora as one of the bad guys we had to face oh. and the book. Um, yeah. So it was lots of fun that like he read the book and brought all of that into the game we were playing. So that was cool. Oh, that's so fun. Talk about getting to know your character well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So then from there, how did you um, go on to then, like, why did you go on to publish romantic fiction? And then how did you become an editor? Like, how did that all tie in? Um, So... There's a lot. <laughs> With a, We've got so, time. So this is we the longest question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so with the romance, I just wanted kind of a, a change of pace. I find like switching a genre after being into a world for so long, kind of just refreshing creative, creatively. And it it's so different to write um, that it was just, yeah, refreshing. So I wrote a few of those before going back into or well kind of while going back into my fourth book um in the starfell series so i got into that i wanted to write um sweet and clean um romance because of my well i like romance and then also being a middle grade author i really didn't want my name attached to anything that you know parents may find not appropriate and I really didn't want kids like searching my name on the internet and something like that coming up so that's kind of my image is the the sweet and wholesome I guess yeah <laughs> even though I write about you know dragons and witches and <laughs> evil mm-hmm. things in the in the Starfell books <laughs> <laughs> right they're actually scarier um, yeah. but yeah no I would totally if I had teenage girls instead of teenage boys I would totally let them read <laughs> your romances because they are good perfect for that so <laughs> that's good <laughs> oh and as for editing I wanted to become an editor after working with you um, oh. <laughs> so with the book of chaos when I decided to independently publish um, I obviously wanted it to stand up to traditional standards especially with middle grade because you're in a sea of traditional books so to compete with them you need to be up to the up to their standards. So that's why I hired you as my editor. And it was such a good experience. And it just leveled up my writing like so much to work with a professional editor. Like it's worth every penny. And um, it just changed everything for me. So um, after working with you, I thought, you know, this is something I would like to do with other authors as well. So I went back to school, I guess. I went to, uh, well, I just took, I took a course through Writer's Digest University and it was their copy editing certification. And I highly recommend it. You do need to have some background in English before taking it. It doesn't, you know, start at the bare basics, but um, I had gone to school um, for a teacher originally and had taken a lot of English. So um, I had that base knowledge, Um, but it, it was a fantastic course and a work from home home course so it's good oh that's so awesome yeah it's been so cool to see uh to see you grow as a writer but I've also really appreciated how you've um allowed me to grow as an editor also over our work together so yeah that's been been awesome you're a dream client Jessica (laughs) thank you (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I want to be, I want us to, you know, have a good working relationship and make my books the best they can be. So, yes, I want your books to be the best they can be too. And, um, we got some exciting news that we'll probably talk about later in the episode about that. So yes, that has all definitely paid off for you. <laughs> I, I did have an agent for the book of chaos for at one time. Um, but it didn't sell. It did get in with a publishing um, house for review, but they didn't want it. So, um, but that still boosted my confidence in the fact that an agent wanted it and the editor at this publishing house liked it, mm -hmm. but it was like a marketing issue. So, you know, even though it didn't work out, that was still a boost of confidence for me that, okay, I might know like a bit what I'm doing here. You bet, yeah. yeah. For sure. All right. So uh, what have you achieved that you're most proud of? I think the Starfall series, like it kind of surprised me how well it's done because, you know, often as an indie, you know, we're told indie authors, you know, can't do it, can't compete with trad books. And then when you get down to kids books, both middle grade and picture books, people even other indie authors will often say, you know, it's not worth it. You should get traditionally published. So the fact that it's, you know, done a, a lot better than I expected, um, that whole series, not just the Book of Chaos, but the other two books as well, um, has been, I've been very happy with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that is, that is huge, though. I mean, and you're like, you're, you're just finishing up book four starting book mm -hmm. five. I mean, the series, you've got quite a few books out now. So that is definitely something to be proud of. So what's the biggest challenge you faced so far in your career and how have you overcome it or are in the process of overcoming it? Is it, is it that finding that middle grade audience as an indie or? Yeah, I think, um, imposter syndrome for sure. Okay. Um, finding the audience, it's just different than it is for adult genres. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a newsletter, but it's, you know, kids age out of middle grade. Yeah. So it's usually like parents or if you're lucky teachers, because they won't leave your, your list, but it's a lot of parents. And once their kids get old enough, they're not reading that age group anymore. You know, they don't really want to stick around. There's no reason right. to. So, um, so I do have a newsletter, but it's not quite um, the tool that it is for like adult series. And same with social media, like, again, I have parents and teachers following me and, um, but it's, I find my social media, I talk to a lot more other writers and especially writers of middle grade. Um, mm. But for finding my audience, I've honestly found Amazon to be great for online sales, like. Good. Ooh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also doing, I've done school visits, which is something you know, adult genre authors don't do, but those have led to lots of sales. And I've even sold a class set of the first book. And um, yeah, and those are fun because kids are like the best readers to have. They're so enthusiastic. They're so fun. Um, I went to one class and they had all, it was before the third book came out. It was between the second and the third. And all the kids had drawn drawn a picture of what they thought the cover of the third book was going to look like That's and awesome. it was so awesome it was just <laughs> so much fun and that was a big surprise I didn't know like that they were doing that so yeah 
Well, one of my most fun memories to do with your books was after when I was doing a book signing at the chapters in Red Deer and this little girl who has been about nine, 10 years old came up to me with her dad. And I don't, I don't write middle grade fiction. I think her dad was there to buy one of my books for his wife, but I asked her what her favorite book was. And she just had the biggest grin on her face. And she was like, the book of chaos. And I'm like, really? I said, I edited that book. She's like, Whoa, cool. Like her dad wanted a picture of us together. I was just like, I'm not even the author. Like that's so cute. I love that. And I do book signings at the Red Deer chapters too. So I bet I bet that's where she got it. Yeah, probably. Or actually, you know what? I think she might have been at one of your like she might have been in one of your school visit classes. Maybe I'm not hundred percent sure. But yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty fun experience. So, oh, they're so yeah. Fun. yeah, I love kids. I love them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, as for the biggest challenge, the imposter syndrome is mm-hmm. the biggest for me. And it's like just an ongoing thing that I have oh. to just keep dealing with. Right. Um, and I think like, especially with middle grade, my book is in there with a lot of trad books that are like phenomenal. So, right. mm-hmm. it, yeah, I can feel feel scary sometimes um and it's always scary to put yourself out there uh but I have done a lot of a lot of work around that and even just taking a step back to look at everything I've done to better myself as a writer um the courses I've taken working with you like I'm always striving to improve my craft so Mm -hmm. I feel like the work I'm putting out there is the best that I can and I have done the work to try to improve my skills. So Mm -hmm. it's, I don't believe that I'm just putting not great stories out there. So I agree. I think you're doing uh, awesome. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So that helps like to look back and say, you know, I'm not just sitting here writing something and throwing something unedited and, you know, never learning anything. I've done the work to like Mm. get to get here. So it has to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's finding the audience. And so yeah. like, like the, what really matters, I guess, is that people it, that our work resonates with people yeah. and, um, the, and the certain, like you need to find the right people. Cause not everyone yeah. will like your books and that's okay. Be, even the best written books are not mm-hmm. liked by everyone. It, mm-hmm. You can look at big name authors like Stephen King, you know, and they, they'll have a lot of ton of one-star reviews. Yes. And it, like <laughs> the, his, his books aren't for everyone and neither am no. I. So. <laughs> I've actually done that. I've gone to Goodreads and looked up, like yeah. I, I read this one book that was like a Nebula award winner. And I went and I looked at her reviews and there were so many one-star reviews. And I was just like, well, if she's going to get one-star reviews, I guess. We're all going to get them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just need to get over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need, we need to grow a thick skin. And, yes. you know, I don't find the one-star reviews generally helpful. Um, usually they're, well, not all the time, but they can be a little bit mean-spirited. However, looking at the three-star reviews are generally helpful because people tell you, like people in there will say, this is what I didn't like. This is what I did like. And you can learn from that. You can. You can also learn a lot of times that they just weren't your tar- target audience that's, more than yeah. likely. Um, yeah. And that's what I find the ones, one and two stars are generally, you know, it's someone who doesn't like 
fantasy or whatever genre you're you're right. writing yeah yeah now, even the three stars i i was really surprised um because i can't remember I th- if it was amazon at one point one of the booksellers would actually put like what each star rating meant and number three the three stars i think was i liked it and hmm. so i've actually yeah. known people that like a book that i would rate five stars like this was not was a really really good book that was their three star rating yeah. to, to have four stars. They would want to have to read it again. And five stars was like, it was mind blowing. I want this yeah. in my collection. I will tell everybody about it forever. And that's not how I read books, but it just helped me remember that like, a not everybody, yeah. yeah, not everybody writes books the same. And I think you see more of that on Goodreads, um, mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, because, on the retailers. Yeah. yeah, because on Goodreads, the people who are there are really passionate about books and they need to have a little bit, maybe more nuance between how they grade books, which is why I think you see a lower star rating there. Yeah. Generally. And you also have to remember those people aren't rating it for the author. They're rating Absolutely it for not. themselves. Yeah. So there are other be. readers and for yeah. other readers. So, you know, they want to go through their own list and say, Oh, this one I loved. I, yeah. you know, to remember like what they want to reread or if they want to like write a review on a, their blog or something or recommend it to friends. Right. Um, it's not they're not for us yes (laughs) yeah absolutely and I I I struggle with that a little bit myself even when I'm leaving a review on Goodreads it's like okay I didn't really care for this book but that doesn't mean somebody else wants so so like because it's my also my personal record then I'll 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 put the rating but then I'll be like remember to unclick I don't want this to go to my feed I don't want this to like yeah be broadcasting to other people that this was a horrible book because that could just be my taste (laughs) and somebody else might just love it so yeah exactly I just probably wasn't the right audience so exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway so uh imposter syndrome uh is there any other tips you have for getting over that or um I did read a really good book recently that um really kind of shifted my mindset um it's called the Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. Mm-hmm. I believe the author is, I want to say it's Valerie Young. I'm just going to double check here. Yes, Valerie Young is the author. And it was so good. It just really it explained why um, a lot of women and minorities have these thoughts and just how ingrained they are into us by society from the time we're you know, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, was really helpful. And she does give a lot of like advice on how to change your thoughts. Um, so I'm going to have to read that because, because mm-hmm. I got a little dose of uh, a little humongous dose of imposter syndrome this week. So <laughs> like, as you said, it never goes away. <laughs> it's an ongoing journey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really is. Yeah. Okay, so that you might have already answered this next question, but maybe not. What is something you've done that goes against common wisdom, but which you are glad you chose to do? Oh, definitely publish my middle grade um, books independently. Um, Nice. I always just think like how many great stories are not out there because an agent or publisher said no. Um, I know, right? And they're not, it's not even that they're bad books, but there's so much that goes into like for publishers, they want to make money. So they really look at market trends and what's hot, what's not. So like, you know, 
if vampires are a big thing at the moment or not or you know there's just like so much um subjectivity mm-hmm. um that goes into it so yeah I think indie publishing is so great because there are just so many books now out there that wouldn't have been otherwise so um I'm really glad I went that way and even like with the middle grade I think you just have to have a different mindset it's a it's harder to find information on how to do it successfully because most of like the author groups and courses are really geared toward adult genres Mm -hmm. um but I will, if anybody is interested in middle grade or picture books, um, independently publishing them, I highly suggest um, the self-publishing book by Karen Inglis. I believe it's called How to P- Publish and Market a Children's Book. Now I can't remember the full title. I'll look it up. And I'll yeah, it yeah. I, it got me going. Um, it gave me confidence. It got me going and gave me the confidence to approach schools to do school visits. And she has a huge section in there on marketing and she just revised it. So there's, it's even more up to date uh, um, with everything nice. in there. So it's, it's awesome. So anybody considering writing kids books, I highly recommend it. And have you like taken any courses or anything from her as well? Or is it just the book and away you went? Just, just the book. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I talk a lot with other um, middle grade authors who are indies as well. So we can share our experiences, what worked for us, what didn't. Right. You know, it's it's still, yeah, there's not really, I don't believe I've seen any courses for specifically for kids books, but there mm-hmm. might be, it might be something people want to Google, but. Yeah, cool. Yeah. If they wanted to um, maybe find a great authors group for children's and middle grade books, do you have a one you'd recommend? Um, yeah, on Facebook, there's a group called the Society of Middle Grade Authors or Middle okay. Grade Writers, um, and it's fantastic. There are both trad and indie authors in there, which is actually really nice um, mm-hmm. because you can hear people's experiences both ways, kind of help you make your decision on what you want to do. Um, and they talk about craft and book covers and all sorts of stuff like that in there. So. I think in the middle grade world, um, having trad and indie authors talking together is good because the the way the genre is, it's dominated by trad and the indie authors really need to um, fit into that mold. Well, I'm impressed that there is such a group actually, because I don't know, it seems like the segregation between, I mean, the lines are blurring more for um, other genres but uh, there still seems to be a little bit of separation between the, tr- the trad world and the indie world. Like recently I started looking specifically when out looking for writers podcasts and I found a ton I had never even heard of. And as I started going through them, I realized it's, well, these are all geared towards traditional publishing mm-hmm. and traditional writers. And like, that's probably why we haven't heard of these people, but still, I'm still putting my, like trying to get familiar with them. But like the point being, I think we need to kind of cross those lines more. Mm-hmm. And I was just listening to the, um, the creative pens, uh, in between episode about the merger between draft to digital and smash words. Yes. And it was so, have you, have you listened to it? It just came out. This I morning. haven't, I okay. haven't listened to it, but I heard about the merger. It's well, it's big news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is actually the second interview already I've listened to or third interview about it. And I, I it was, 
I really liked it um, because just the, the general tone of it was so hopeful and just the vision because you know how how Joanna Penn, she's so futuristic and vision oriented. So she was really able to get Kevin Tomlinson and Mark Coker talking about their vision for going forward for what was happening here. And the vision of what they have for the indie author industry as being um, kind of like this viable, like really alternative to Amazon and, and like even traditional publish and just, just to have all authors working together and all retailers, like that whole rising tide thing. Yeah. Love my hands. This is what I do when I'm podcasting, but normally nobody can see it. (laughs) Anyway. So yeah, I just, I just think it's so cool that you have this, that, that with middle grade, you guys have this group where that is like crossing lines. And I hope to see that kind of thing happening in other genres as well so yeah, yeah anyway. I think mm-hmm. we need more more of that we're all we're all authors yeah. there's no right or wrong in which way you want to publish um yeah right yeah, yeah. it's and you know it can be a per book decision yes. yeah, there are lots <laughs> of people that do that yeah yeah well and I mean I guess with my books now I guess I'm like a mixture because my audiobooks are trad which are coming out the first one's coming out on march so yes why don't you tell us about that now <laughs> okay sure so i guess that's another uh thing that well we'll see how it works out i think it's gonna work out good <laughs> um, i'm already excited about it but um so audiobooks are obviously a huge industry now and they it just keeps growing like every year and i enjoy listening to fiction audiobooks so mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but it can be quite expensive to produce an audiobook on your own and oh, yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit overwhelming on figuring out how to do it as an indie. Um, there, are, there are ways and there are lots of them that do it well, but uh, it was expensive and a lot for me, especially because you need to do the whole, this whole series. There's no point in doing book one and not the rest of the series. Right. Because um, then listeners have nothing to move on to, so... Right. And for me, if I see there's just the first book and they didn't bother doing the rest, I wouldn't even want to listen to it because I don't want to get involved in a story and not be able to finish it. So anyway, so that's so I actually submitted to Podium Audio um, Mm -hmm. just to see what would happen. They don't have any other kids books. So I didn't know they mainly focus on fantasy and science fiction. So I submitted Starfile just to see what would happen and I signed a deal with them a month or so later and I'm excited about it. They, the first book, well, so the Book of Chaos is coming March 15th. The pre-order is up on Audible, so you can find it on there in pre-order and they picked an awesome narrator. Her name is Reba Burr, and she's done a lot of like voice work um, in anime, in animation, in video games. Um, she's done some acting, so she's just she's really good. Um, she did Victoria Schwab's City of Ghosts series, mm-hmm. which she just did an amazing job on those. So um, I'm really excited. You know, she's an, she's an actress, so she does the different voices and um, actually performs the book, just doesn't just read it. So, oh yeah. I went to her website and I listened to her, her voice reel for 
for kids animated stuff. And it was mm-hmm. so cute. Like she just did yeah. so many different things and she does great with accents. I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. I, I <laughs> very much looking forward to, to getting the samples. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. And just in case anyone hasn't heard of Podium, um, they do primarily work with indie authors, right? Uh, yes they have some trad as well but most of the big houses do their own right the big right. trad houses they do their own audiobooks so they have a, a few a few trad but it's mostly um independent authors so it's the kind of thing where you would generally you would go and you would submit and um and then possibly get to work with someone and so i thought it was so cool when you said that you got this deal because not only I mean, because they, they don't have middle grade kids books Yeah. up until now. <laughs> yeah. You're the first, but not only that, they've kind of like, like your, your rep there is really, she's really on board and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really excited about uh, you being the first basically of many hope, I think is, is the impression I got. Is that true? I, I, I think so. I hope so. I think kind of like a flagship um, product. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know so middle grade typically doesn't sell as many audiobooks as adults however it's growing like I've looked up the statistics and it's starting to grow a lot and I've had twice I've had kids at school visits ask me if I had audiobooks because they listen to them in the car we living in Alberta a lot of kids play hockey which involves driving all over the province Um, but I remember that from my childhood (laughs) both my brother and sister played hockey I did not but (laughs) every weekend you're in the vehicle driving all over and um, the one little boy said that they always listen to to audiobooks yeah on, on their way to hockey so I think it's yeah it's growing and it's a great it's great yeah when my kids were young I had audiobooks playing in the car or the van all the time yeah so Mm -hmm. it's I think there's definitely that market and even though your books are middle grade I think um, younger kids could enjoy them especially in an audio form so Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's gonna be that's gonna be so cool (laughs) thank you I'm I'm just fangirling a little (laughs) and I was gonna ask do you find that you get like you were saying earlier that you get um, parents that kind of fall away as uh, their kids grow up but do you have parents who become fans of you? Yeah. Like on their own behalf? <laughs> I've had, I have had um, reviews and emails from parents saying that, you know, I stole my kid's cop- copy or I read way ahead. Oh, that's kid. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, they are, uh, you know, even though they're middle grade, I would say they're kind of upper middle grade. Um, yeah, a little. A little yeah. bit like a bit similar to you know they're they're not the same as Harry Potter but they're similar in that um I guess the the tone or the maturity I've only read the first Percy Jackson book but it actually oh yeah strike me about the same as Percy Jackson definitely yeah so So. you know adults like me like (laughs) I'm in my 30s and I read a ton of middle grade books because I love them I love being brought back to being 12 and having an adventure (laughs) but I think there's a lot of adults who do so yeah they're great and you know what it's funny um I mean I'm advertising young adult books on on Facebook but I have so many like guys in their 60s and up that click (laughs) surprises me I'm right advertising about epic mermaid fantasy and and um I'm not sure how many of them actually read but 
You know what? Face. There's a huge, um, there's a huge portion of adult readers who love YA. Like, yes. And I, I love, love YA. YA too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read YA too. So, you know, I, I read across all ages. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'll even pick up a good picture book if it's recommended to me. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's some that are just so cute. Yeah. They are so sweet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, tell uh, besides forging this trail uh as an indie middle grade author have you ever tried anything your in your career uh that's paid off in unexpected ways like just like marketing wise or or whatever like risks you've taken whatever besides the um, audiobook thing i guess i mean that was that was yeah, a risk but hey that, look at that the audiobook <laughs> thing worked out great because i didn't even know if i'd get a reply because yeah. i went through their catalog and there was no middle grade and i was like <laughs> But you never know. <laughs> so I submitted. Um, That's right. So there's that. Good, and good then, job for not pre-rejecting yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you. And then I guess, um, oh, I know. There's a lot of, a lot of um, advice out there saying not to bother entering awards. And I think that's probably true for adult genres. <laughs> but for the middle grade, what I have found is that teachers and parents want to see some legit like legitimacy to your work and you know publishers do provide that right like yeah. looking at like a scholastic book right they they know that it's going to be safe for their kid yeah um so i did win some awards i entered the children's literary awards which is um done by a group of libraries actually in the midwest of the united states Okay. And so I won that one and uh, with the Book of Chaos. And then mm -hmm. um, I've done the reader's favorite um, reviews and gotten the little five star medallions that way too. Yeah. And I really do think that at least for middle grade or YA or picture books, it just adds that um, like this book has been vetted. It's, mm -hmm. it's good for the age group. They say it's good for um, to it. I was at a book signing in Calgary and I had a dad come up to my table and tell me that he had just read the review for the book of chaos on the children's literacy um, award site and that review like sold him on it like that's what um he felt comfortable buying it for his for yeah his daughter yeah you know I think that's a really valid point because um like when my boys were in elementary school I homeschooled them for the first several years. And uh, I mean, at homeschool parents, you go through an awful lot of books, but you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have time to read them all yourself. So you really do Absolutely. rely on those third parties to validate whether it's something that you want your child to read. Um, that's probably how I got introduced to Goodreads was actually trying to figure mm -hmm. out how, you know, how appropriate something was for my kid as I would just go and I would look at the reviews on Goodreads. And so, yeah, I think having those awards and those like e even from reader's favorite, which is, yep. you know, like it's, it's not like it's the, uh, what's that Canadian one? Oh uh, yeah. The Aurora. Well, the Aurora, but I'm thinking of like the ones that like, um, uh, you know, like wrinkle in time and stuff would, would, Oh yeah. I can't remember anyway, yeah. but you know, but still somebody you're right. Like somebody has taken a look at this book and said, this meets yep. genre standards and excels in them. So yeah. And yeah, the reviewers are all like librarians and teachers. Yeah, and, the reviews know, people are that good. know know what they're 
they know genre, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, I find too, with the, they must train, like the reader's favorite must train how they want their reviewers to review because they usually give like a little summary in the first paragraph of yep. their review that doesn't give spoilers, which is really nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just... I found they do that for my books too. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, that's very cool. All right. So what is something you've tried? Cause this is the real talk podcast. Mm -hmm. What is something you've tried and have decided it isn't for you and why? Okay. So <laughs> the eBooks for middle grade, I barely sell any. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with the, and I do this for my sweet romances, but the newsletters that a lot of authors are encouraged to use where you do like a 99 cent sale or have it free for a period of time. Yeah. And then you send it through like Bargain Booksy or e-reader news today. Those kind of sites are they're awesome for adult books. Yeah. Awesome. For middle grade, nothing. Like they are not worth the money. They or for me, they weren't. Um, I've tried them all. <laughs> they <laughs> just like a fraction of the downloads. That's what I get on my romances. So I don't sense. bother to put my dollars there. My dollars are better spent running AMS ads where they target other middle grade books and mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that's where shoppers who are shopping for middle grade books will see. So um, for me, for middle grade, anyway, that tactic didn't really work. Um, it, I will say a book bub did help. I did. Okay. So the book bub is like, like the mother of all email <laughs> newsletters yeah. that authors want to get because they just have such a huge huge audience so that's um, the book so, bub featured deal just to clarify yes, right yeah yes. yeah yeah not the new release deal the featured deal yeah. um it, it still didn't get even close to like adult books will get tens of thousands of downloads right they can uh, they can <laughs> yes they can yeah. they don't know <laughs> no the, the book of chaos didn't get that near that many um uh but um it was still worth it because mm -hmm. the middle grade is I think it was 110 bucks where as you know in the higher genres like thrillers or romances you know you can be looking at 800 to a thousand bucks for a book bub so right um it was worth it and I did um actually have a big um increase in ebook sales like to the rest of the series for like a tail end and I got some great reviews um which really always helps. It always helps to get good reviews on your books. Um, and I'm sure I found some readers that, you know, I saw some more signups to my email list and stuff too. So um, the book bub, if you can get it, I applied to it for like a year and a half before I actually got it. Um, but just keep doing it every month, just apply because they get so many submissions. Mm -hmm. um, and they can only, I think, take 20% of submissions each, each month. So just keep trying. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to, that was a year ago I got that. And I'm going to start applying for another one this spring, I think, because I think it's been long enough that they'll have like new people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. And so I'm just kind of curious. So, you, so the things you found work for middle grade are like a lot more the in-person stuff, right? Like the, the school visits and stuff, which of course have been really curtailed during 
the pandemic, but you said, yeah. I think you've told me that you did some, some zoom ones with classrooms and stuff. So yeah. how'd those turn out? Actually, they turned out pretty good. They're, you know, not quite as fun as being there in person. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but no, they turned out pretty good. I generally, those ones I were a bit shorter and mostly just me reading to them and answering questions. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, especially during the pandemic, the kids needed that. They need, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, a break. Yeah, a fun, a fun break. Yeah, for so, sure. Um, no, those turned out good. And that, but I will say, I sell majority of my books from AMS ads for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. People are Which is on whole, Amazon looking for books. <laughs> exactly, and that's a whole learning curve as well. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can't just jump into that willy nilly because it's you have to learn learn and I have taken courses for AMS to learn how to yeah. how to use it effectively. Um, when you get into paid advertising it's very easy to overspend and not get the return. Um, so you have to learn how to do it so that you're targeting the right people and bidding the right amounts and you know all that all that fun stuff <laughs> absolutely are there any courses you'd recommend um so i did so brian cohen has a great five-day challenge that's free yes um, i've taken that it's awesome <laughs> and it's he just lays out the bare basics of ams ads and i mean he does go a little bit deeper into it too but like just to learn the ad dashboard and the platform and like how the different types of ads work mm -hmm. it's, and it's totally free. And I just, that is the best starting point that I found. Um, and then uh, uh, Mark Dawson has a really good advertising um, course. Have uh, you taken that? I have, I haven't got through it all yet because he delves into AMS, Facebook, yeah, Pinterest, everything, everything you can like, think of. Um, and so I have not got through it all yet. And I still haven't found a way to make Facebook ads work for me. Um, so, but I've narrowed my vision this year to like getting really good at one thing yeah. before trying to add more because I was kind of spreading myself a little thin, like between AMS and Facebook and yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I was just like, no, I need to get my AMS ads like really going good and I'll worry about learning Facebook later. And Facebook's going through so many changes right now too. So oh, I almost kind of want to wait until all that's leveled out and see, because I'm imagining the great thing about Mark Dawson's course is that he updates, he keeps it up to date. So once you True. buy it, you're in there for life and he'll up, update it with the platforms as they, as they update. Um, and then but for AMS, I am doing Brian Cohen's ad school. Um, and it's, I just started it, but it's been really good so far. So I do recommend that as well. It, but do the challenge first, the five day yeah. challenge first um, and see see if it's for you. Cause it's a lot, <laughs> like a is. lot to learn. So I did the five day challenge in early, uh, I think it was early 2020. Mm -hmm. That feels about right. Um, I learned a lot. Mostly I learned that my packaging and my marketing weren't yet up to the point where people were wanting to click through and pay for the book. Once I got there, got, got the ads going pretty good. <laughs> but but um, that, that was huge. That. Yeah, he's so good for that. Like not just the ads, but how your book is packaged, 
how, mm-hmm. you know, your blurbs, your cover, like all that stuff. It's yeah. so important because you can run all the ads in the world to your book. Yeah. And it's not going to sell if it doesn't look on, on target, if it doesn't look quality, if the blurb doesn't pull people into the story, like it's, it's not going to yeah. sell. And it's not even necessarily a quality thing. Cause I had really good quality covers, but they mm-hmm. weren't the right covers for my genre. genre. (laughs) And that makes such a difference. Um, That, Mm -hmm. that can be this huge learning curve for new indie authors is, um, is learning that your cover is a code. Basically it's a, it's a marketing code that triggers in readers want minds, whether or not they want that book, if that book is going to deliver the thing they want. And you have always done so well with um, your covers, your covers for both your romance and your fantasy series. They're awesome. (laughs) Thank you. And I attribute that to trusting professionals. (laughs) See, that's the problem with me. I I micromanage a little too much, I think, but you know, eventually then I learned what to do and I learned not to micromanage. And now I have these gorgeous covers. You do. Also, I learned to make my own romance covers. Um, I was going to just say quickly too, I think that um, like, cause I've done, I've done try, I've discovered for Facebook that I like I've struggled with advertising my, my YA fantasy on there, but I'm doing well with romance. And so yep. I wonder if, have you tried Facebook ads for romance? I okay. ran some Facebook okay. ads to my Christmas romance. Okay. With success. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of think it can be a genre thing because yep. the way Facebook targeting works too, with your, who, who you can target. Yeah. And yeah, I think, it's I think that a makes lot a difference. too. And it was getting too too confusing for me trying to do the two yeah oh it's a lot of work oh my goodness it's a lot of work marketing is a lot of work (laughs) writing the book is a lot of work but then you have to market (laughs) yeah and I actually really like marketing I find it quite creative and fun but it it's all such a time suck like it could could just get sucked into one thing and then it's yeah it takes all my writing time yeah Yeah. Mark Darson's course is on my wish list. So yeah. I'm going to have to. I will say I day. am going to start experimenting a little bit with Pinterest because oh. there are tons of teachers, librarians, oh, yeah, yeah. parents on Pinterest. So, um, and I have heard some other authors or some other kids book authors are kind of doing the same experimenting with it. And um, advertising on there is, is quite a bit cheaper than. Oh, okay. Um, Good luck. So we'll we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, I look forward to hearing how that turns out. Yeah. All right. So um, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice from when you began your author journey, what would it be? Have patience. Oh, good one. (laughs) Not a sprint. (laughs) Oh, that is huge. (laughs) Yeah. I've talked to so many um, other middle grade authors that are so frustrated because they have one or two books out and, you know, they can't get their ads profitable. They can't, um, you know, get it rolling. And I just, my series didn't really take off and get rolling until the third book was out. Mm-hmm. It just, that seems to be a number for a lot of people series in all genres. Like once that third book hits, people are kind of like, oh, this this author's serious about this series mm-hmm. like they're gonna finish it yeah um so they it kind of builds some trust I guess with readers and um part of advertising is having more books 
because um, you don't advertise every single book you advertise right. or for me you advertise the first book in the series yeah. and that book is what sells people into reading the rest of the series yeah so um they have to like your first book you better make sure that first book is up to par <laughs> yes exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a great piece of advice so, yeah, patience <laughs> patience if you work hard and keep writing especially if you only have one book out don't worry about marketing very much just just write the next book and then the next book and then start start learning more marketing is my advice yes because um, i tried marketing with just one book and it never really worked um you, you know, know go ahead sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah it just yeah it just didn't really work when i had just the one book so um then i kind of took a break from trying and waited i think it was until i took the five brian cohen's five day challenge right when I released the third book. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when things really, really got going. And I was able to be profitable with my ads. So, Right. And, you know, I remember hearing when I first, when I first published my first baby book, <laughs> and, and then I started actually getting involved in the writing community and hearing even at that time, they were already talking about how, um, you know, you basically needed at least five books. Some people were saying 10 books to make a profit. Then there's like the 20 books to 50k thing. I'm like, okay, that's, yeah. what, that's way more than a profit, but I'm like mm -hmm. 20 books to make a living at this. That just seemed so out of reach. And, um, you know, I think that can be really discouraging when you first start out to hear, but I, I, when I, when I had uh, my coaching session with, with Becca Syme last spring, um, she just really helped put that in perspective for me. And she was just like, you know, it doesn't matter what career you got into, like you would have this training period of, of several years. And then you'd have several years of building and, and like, it would be at least 10 years before you really started to see success. And so, cause I was really frustrated with how little my platform seemed to be doing. Um, and I, I think I only had three books out at the time too. And she's like, I'm just looking here and, and you've got the pieces in place. You just have a really baby platform. Yeah. And I think that that easy for us to forget like like you're five years in six years in what are you no four four years. four, four years in yeah. and, and i'm not I, making a living yet just to be clear off my books <laughs> yeah, i'm yeah. i'm making I, a profit but i'm not i'm still i still need to edit and like <laughs> yes exactly yeah, yeah. and say and same here right like i'm seven yeah. years in and and yeah i'm not I'm not making a living. I'm barely making a profit because I've published in so many genres and I haven't published that many books. And so, yeah, it's, it's still a learning curve, but, um, you know, I think you get to a point where there's a tipping point, like for you, when you got to that third Starfell book out there, that was a tipping point for you where you start to see, um, your, your growth accelerate. And I expect to see something like that happen in my, with what I've got planned, I expect to see that happen in about a year for me. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, uh, yeah, like it's, it's one of those things that I, 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 I agree with you. Be patient and put in the work is, is probably what I just yeah. keep at. Like, just keep putting in the work. It can be really hard to yeah. maintain that faith and momentum, but if you keep yeah. doing it, um, Mark Leslie Lefebvre put a quote on his podcast ones that I just adore it's like you only hear the success stories of the people who didn't give up <laughs> yeah and I think that's really true because like um 
for like what Becca Syme was saying, I took David Farland's, or I'm still taking his online courses for both craft and like kind of business planning side. And he said that even among traditionally published authors, it can be seven years until, oh, wow. you know, their break because their first books are kind of like, you know, testing the waters kind yeah, of yeah. books. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's insane to think, I mean, the amount of marketing you have to put into something for people to be excited about it the very yeah. first time it comes out of the gate is unrealistic for indies. So you have it's unrealistic to... Unrealistic for a lot of traditionally published authors too. Yeah. I mean, like it doesn't Harry, happen anymore. Harry, <laughs> no, like with Harry Potter, I think, I can't remember, I was reading, but their budget to really ramp up that book, it was like a million dollars or something. And that was back then, like mm-hmm. in the late 90s. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could only all have that kind of marketing budget, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even nowadays, when they do put something like that, like Billie Eilish's memoir or whatever it was that was just published and just kind of flopped. Um, <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> feel bad for her, actually. But but it just goes to show you that, like, you still have to, yeah, you have to put in the time. You have to put in the yeah. work. So, yep. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? I'm sure you do. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting month coming. Yeah. March is going to be a great month. I hope. I think. <laughs> um, I have. So on March 15th, the first audiobook with Podium is coming out uh, for the Book of Chaos. So and you can pre-order that now on Audible and um, you can use your credits for that um, or buy it. Um mm-hmm. And they are, since I already have the first four books written, um, they are, it's not like a super rapid release, but it is every two months. So in May, the second book is coming out in July the third and in September the fourth, not sure about when the fifth is coming because I'm still working on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, but you know, so if you get the first book, it's not a long wait to get the second. So you can, okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. super excited. <laughs> Thank you, me too. <laughs> and then I have the fourth book, uh, The Curse of the Warlock is mm-hmm. coming out on March 29th. And okay. that's just coming out in um, ebook and paperback and hardcover. Um, not the, the audiobook for that will be coming out in September. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very, very exciting. All right. So were you able to think of a, like, do you have a, an inspirational quote for writers that you would put on a mug, (laughs) our mug quote of the week? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of for writers and everyone. Um, Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like um, Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you know him. He's like a Buddhist monk. He's done a lot of um, activism and peace work, Uh, but he said our own life has to be our message and I kind of feel like that really apply well it applies to everyone in our personal lives but it can apply to our writing as well like our writing is our message true yeah I love it I love it okay cool well this was really fun thank you so much for being my first podcast guest thank you for having me thanks for having coffee with me (laughs) (laughs) afternoon tea yeah (laughs) all right and we'll talk to you later
Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jessica. Um, I certainly did. I just adore her as a person, but her work and also I'm just constantly inspired by Jessica's uh, business savvy and the things that she's tried and, and willing to try. And yeah, she's a pretty amazing person. Anyways, uh, after our interview was over, we realized we forgot a couple of things in the interview. No, what can I say? I'm I'm out of practice with interviewing and I have never done it for a podcast before. So anyways, I'm just going to include them right here. Specifically, uh, where to find Jessica online was missed. So you can go to her website at jessicarenwickauthor.com to find more about her books and you can sign up for her middle grade or romance newsletters. She keeps two separate newsletters and they each have free uh, reader magnet stories to go with them. And both of the stories are good. Uh, so I recommend them. And you can also follow her on social media. She is most active on Instagram and she has two accounts. One is under Jessica Renwick author, which is her main account, which she primarily promotes her fantasy in, but she also just, it's her writer's life kind of account. And then she has Jessica Ann Renwick books, which is primarily to focus on her romance audience. And she does a lovely job with Instagram. It's so nice seeing her posts. They're always pretty and she's so engaging in her posts. So, and lastly, our question of the week this week is what's a risky decision you've made about your indie author business that has paid off in unexpected ways. And you can leave a comment at tolinawinters.com slash podcast episode nine. And uh, I will put a link in the show notes, of course. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, please leave a comment and, and if you have any questions or anything, um, Jessica can come and respond to them. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful writing week and we shall see you next week. Thanks for having coffee with me. Coffee and Real Talk for Writers has been produced by Tolina Winters. The music for this podcast was written by Josh Rickard of joshrickardmusic.com. You can find episode show notes, leave a comment, subscribe, or if you're feeling generous, buy me a coffee at tolinawinters.com slash podcast. And be sure to leave a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Tell your friends to come by too. The kettle's always on. So until next time, I hope you keep writing and keep it real. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Book of Chaos was her first novel and the start of her fantasy series for middle grade readers, Starfell. <laughs> it's okay we can start over so. you yeah. know what i'm just gonna reword that sentence a little bit um yeah it sounds clunky it does a little bit